Hello and welcome back to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast with your host Dave Mullins. Today I interview Claire Pollard, the head coach of the women's tennis team at Northwestern University. Claire has set some amazing records in the Big Ten Conference during her 22 years at NU, going undefeated in conference play eight different times. She was voted the ITA National Coach of the Year in 2008. However, many of you don't know that Claire actually won the NCAA Doubles Championship in 1989 at Mississippi State and was also the men's and women's head coach at Lamar for six years. We cover her experiences coaching the men, her coaching philosophy, and why she does not like the word failure, along with much, much more. I hope you enjoy. pleasure and privilege of working for you for three years so I probably know you and your your program as well as I'm going to know any coach I interview on here so excited to get into a lot of these things today so um, just going to dig into your your you know, early days of coaching so you um, you were the coach at Lamar for both the men's and ladies teams and uh, I'm trying to get a sense of you know what you learned from that experience so you're kind of thrown in the deep end there uh overseeing two teams there's not a lot of of uh female coaches that have have coached men's teams and i'm just interested on on your perspective what you learned and, and how you applied that then to your success at northwestern yes well you're taking me back quite a long time now um i'm on year 22 at northwestern so <laughs> We're going back about 27 years. Um, <laughs> so forgive me if I have to pause for a minute on that one. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think it was just an amazing experience and growth for me, um, both doing the men and the women, but also working at maybe a non-Power 5 institution where resources were very limited, um, didn't have a whole lot to sell. Um, our, our courts did not look the greatest I've ever seen. Um, but there was such a character and sense of community that we were able to create with both both programs jointly. Um, I met some of the greatest people that anyone could ever meet. Um, I remember distinctly sitting in my office very early on in my tenure there and the phone rings and a gentleman named Mike Collins was a local car dealer and asked me if I needed any help fundraising. Mm -hmm. And you and I both know that fundraising is, is, an, is an essential part of any college job. Um, and at Lamar, it was a necessity. Without fundraising, we, we couldn't play a season. And I was like, I could not believe my fortune to get this phone call. Um, and, and Mike and several other members of the community really got behind the tennis program. And we just had this amazing sense of, I wouldn't say we had a chip on our shoulder, but we kind of were so grateful for anything and everything we had. The players on the teams were just so grateful for an opportunity you know, maybe they got a couple of pairs of shorts. We played in T-shirts. Um, everything was very basic. and But I just think that taught me 22 years down the road where I'm at a school that has a lot more. We're able to do things just so much, so differently. Mm -hmm. Just do 
it in such a great manner, but I've never lost the sort of humility that I felt when I was at Lamar um, that really stuck with me. Um, I ran, I did it differently each year. I, I did five years at Lamar and I did it differently each year. Some years I would combine practice and some years I would separate practice out. Some years I was even able to give it off to a great assistant that I was able to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I daily would ask myself, what do the boys do well that I can help teach the girls? And what do the girls do well that I can help teach the boys? Mm-hmm. And I really think that stuck with me to this day. Um, you know, I felt like the boys really com- com- compartmentalized themselves really well. They got after it, they competed hard, whether it was practice, whether it was a match, and then they would let it go. They Mm -hmm. were able to form friendships with people they maybe had had incredibly intense competitive battles with, and maybe it didn't always end pleasantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always thought that was something the girls could get so much better at when I would hear a girl say, well, when I played her in juniors five years ago, (laughs) she made bad line calls. (laughs) And I would be like, wow, okay, let's, let's see if we can learn a little bit from our guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really stuck with me. I mean, you know, I, I, think, I think the boys were, were a little kinder. <laughs> they were a little more forgiving of me as a coach. Mm-hmm. I think they were a little bit more patient with me. Um, I felt like they were less critical. I felt like they were eager to try things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like the, you know, I had to keep my girls a little happier. Um, and I think some days I almost wish that I could, uh, coach maybe a men's team again mm-hmm. at some point in my life. Um, but I, I, I don't know at the highest level whether I would earn the respect and credibility. I certainly had it there, mm-hmm. um, from the men and the boys and, uh, you know, I've kept in touch with a lot of players from Lamar on both sides. And for that, I think that sort of taught me an invaluable lesson that I've tried to bring to Northwestern is creating um, a program and relationships that will last way beyond the four years. And mm-hmm. I've tried to instill that in my program at Northwestern. And I hope that the girls leave here with, with hopefully a mentor, hopefully a relationship that if they ever need it, will go way beyond these four years not only with me but with each other mm-hmm. yeah no there's no doubt uh, that you are doing that and it, it's funny you talk about the coaching the men there and and uh that I, I would love to see you coach a men's team at some point in the future and and uh it's funny when when i first started working with you and, and people would ask me oh you know what what do you think of coach pollard is she a good coach and not not just even in in uh around the u.s around college coaching circles but in ireland as well and and i'd tell them you know if i was to go back out and play on the tour i'd want coach pollard to be my coach so so you you absolutely uh, i think there's no doubt you would uh doesn't surprise me to hear that that the the men at lamar respected you in the way that that they did so um yes watch this space you'll be applying for a men's coaching job here in the next (laughs) few years but um so when i when i did work with you it was obvious to me um i had only one year's coaching experience and, and coaching the men at DePaul university and had had come from the world of finance and and uh, you know just getting into it, but it was very clear to me early on that that you had a very um, succinct 
um, coaching philosophy. And, and, and could you maybe share with us what that philosophy is, how it, it evolved and, and developed through your years of coaching and, and uh, you know, why you would encourage younger coaches to think about their philosophy? I know there's a lot in there, but we can maybe take it one at a time, but maybe start with sharing what, what your philosophy is. ever-evolving philosophy mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think um, I think that it's uh, I think it's a little harder to keep it restricted now as I as I read more as I learn more as I want to do it better every year um, I think I think it it started very very early on um, you know I played at Mississippi State I played for Andy Jackson and he definitely had a way of doing things. Um, I think Andy knows that I didn't always agree with everything <laughs> that we did, but there was definitely a way we were going to do, do things. Mm -hmm. We had a very rigid structure for practice. Um, he, had a, he had an idea of what time we were going to leave, why we were going to leave at this time. If, if the trip was less than three hours, we went the day off. If it was over certain amount of time and he really had those things sorted out and for a young coach you know i i probably had no idea like how he figured that out so quickly because he was very young when i first played for him hmm. and so i was fortunate enough to figure out what i wanted to do my junior year in college so i started making a list of things that i really liked about my experience as a player and things that i would question and maybe not take with me and I think that was the start of my philosophy of, okay, this is what I believe in. I also think it stemmed from my playing that I was really fortunate enough to play for parents who I felt like had a really healthy perspective towards the game and towards competing and towards helping their daughter pursue something she really enjoyed. And I think, you know, first and foremost, my co coaching philosophy is I just deeply love the game of tennis. I deeply love the challenge of it. I deeply love pursuing to try and be really good at something. And I'm using tennis as the vehicle to help young ladies figure that out for themselves. Mm. Um, I just think tennis is, is, I love the integrity of the game. I love, I love the aloneness of the game, even though we're on a team and, and, you know, doubles is so short now, and I love doubles more than I love singles <laughs> as a player. But I just love that one-on-one -on -one combat that you see two people going through. Mm. And I think more than ever where we live in a world where I think we, on one level, really allow for individuality more than ever, but young people really want to sort of follow in packs, be in packs, mm -hmm. feel the need to be a team that I respect and admire both the young women and the young men who put themselves out there and, and pretty get exposed in a, during a tennis match. Mm -hmm. um, the score is very revealing. Um, on the one hand, our scoring system is very forgiving because you get a lot of chances, mm. um, but, but the scoreboard doesn't lie. And there's no, you know, played well. There's no draws in tennis. There's always a definitive winner and there's always a definitive 
I call it runner-up. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> you know, um, I, I really like that. I think it's a really great opportunity in college to learn about yourself. Everyone uses, a lot of people use the expression that, char- you know, sport builds character. Mm-hmm. And I think it does, but I think initially it exposes character. Yeah. And I, I take that quite seriously. I try to see what the girls are struggling with, and I love trying to help them figure it out and leave here in a different and hopefully better place than when they arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't see as, as much enjoyment of the game as I would like um, when I'm watching young people compete. I think the word enjoyment is, is, is difficult to define as we get more serious about something. Um, you know, I think it becomes difficult because I think you can kind of laugh at yourself when you're learning a new skill and you just know you're not going to be good at it. So it's kind of easy to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to think that my teams still display a level of enjoyment, fun and passion for a game that, you know, they've been doing a long time, which can be problematic for a lot of young people as they mm-hmm. come towards maybe the last stage in their tennis career and there's a lot going on. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so despite your, your strong coaching philosophy, you're, you're always looking for ways to make your, your, yourself better, your, your program better. I know every summer you reevaluate things, you read a ton of books, you're, you're trying to figure out almost not how to reinvent yourself, but you're, you're definitely looking for ways to, to be better. So, so what are kind of, what is that process for, shedding the things that are not working and adding new things to your program like how are you deciding okay this this just is not working and and we need to do something different here and add something new in and you know that's you have a strong coaching philosophy yet you're you're also constantly changing things so it looks like those things are are a contradiction but they're not you have this through line that goes that that continues uh, in terms of your philosophy, but then you're you're adding and and shedding things along the way. Can you kind of walk us through how you you figure those things out? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think you know. I, I I did listen to your first podcast with David. Thank you. And um, for those those who didn't get it, you should really listen. I thought it was awesome. I got a lot out of it. But the one thing he repeatedly said, and I couldn't agree more with him, is you can only be yourself. Mm. You have to be yourself throughout this process. You have to be. And I know I know you can't coach everyone the same. Um, you know, I, 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 I can walk onto a changeover and say to one player, if you don't win today, Northwestern will lose. Mm. And she'll rise to the occasion. That will motivate her, fire her up, and she'll get going and maybe – you know, turn a match around that maybe she wouldn't if I hadn't have said that. And I I know I could destroy a young lady if I were to go on and say that. So it is important that you do understand each player and what will work better for them. But ultimately, you have to stay true to yourself. And I think I've always tried to be who I am, not someone I'm not. And, you know, I wish there are things about myself I could change and, and definitely could do a much better job improving on. But fundamentally, if you stay true to yourself, 
then you're then you'll keep that authenticity that you're talking about and and you'll stay true to your philosophy mm. um i typically spend about a week after the season just decompressing not doing a whole lot um sort of just taking a deep breath and then after may you know sometimes that that process takes a little longer sometimes it's a little shorter and then i while it's still fairly fresh in my mind i write again i i, I like books i like lists i love to write down things i'll make a list of what i thought we did well i you know i think all athletic departments require the athletes these days to to fill out some kind of survey or some kind of form at the end of the year to evaluate the program evaluate the coach evaluate you know what how the school's doing for them but i i do a much thorough one with each player individually um i I want the truth i want what they think worked what didn't work i definitely take on board what each player's given me i ask for the seniors to give me a detailed i go out to dinner with them i take them to dinner and i ask them to really tell me what was great about the four years what would you have changed and so You know, I have this common thread that stays with us and, and things that I think, you know, you'll hear similar answers at the end of each year. Um, and so I try to make sure that I'm taking that feedback. I, I want my assistant coach to evaluate the program from head to toe. I want my sports performance person. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky enough to have someone who's with me on a regular basis. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a trainer who's with me on a regular basis. So if you have access to these things as a coach, I think to listen and to just sit back and listen to what everyone can help you with, mm-hmm. you can really get a lot of valuable information. And then, you know, you, you sit there and you take stock and you say, okay, you know, it's time to get rid of this. It's time to let that go. Um, it's time to add this back in. And um, maybe selfishly, I do it a little bit to keep it fresh and interesting for myself. But I also just think... If you're not getting better, you're probably getting worse. And that, that has stuck with me. I can't remember who was lucky enough. I heard that around, but it stuck mm-hmm. with me all the time. And I don't think things stay the same. Mm. So if you're not constantly improving, then I, I, I kind of believe that you're probably regressing. Mm. I think that was Andre Agassi, or maybe he stole it from somebody else. But um, <laughs> no, it, you know, again, kind of comes what you talked about. Yes, you know, you, you um, some players you can walk on the court and, and be pretty tough on them. Others, you've got to put your arm around them a little bit. But for the most part, you you are quite strict on your players. You're, you're quite tough on them, um, but but they love you for it. And, and and this balance appears to be coming more and more challenging with each passing year. At least that was my experience as a, as a coach. Um, but why do you believe you've been able to kind of walk that line so well for so many years? And, and how would you maybe encourage younger coaches to find that balance so that they're not necessarily just being a cheerleader all the time, but they're also not, uh, you know, just beating them down all the time as well. It's, it's how do you find that balance? Because it's something that uh, I always admired and, and was in awe of you because I knew if, if I went up to a, a young lady and, and said something that you had said, uh, she would probably never listen to me again or would be very upset with me for, for quite some time. And, and maybe that's male versus female. Um, but but you, you really 
it's it's i don't know if it, if it's a gift you have if it's an art if it's something you've developed but if you have any insights as to to how you've gained that um that skill and and how you'd encourage others to uh to develop it if they don't already have it um i think you touched on it a little bit i do think i have an advantage being a female mm-hmm. um I, I i do think there are certain things that um even though and, and in our band right this weekend um all the four young ladies who were with me all said i was the first female coach they'd ever had right. so i find that very interesting and um but I, I i do take advantage of the fact that i'm a female i do think that i maybe could say some things that as a as a male coach would be a little bit harder wouldn't be as well received um you know first and foremost again i go back to i'm myself um i'm english i'm blunt i'm straightforward um there are some qualities that being british that i'm proud of um i I have helped my team recognize that the definition of the word positive is good and helpful information. Mm-hmm. So I believe that I am being positive at all times when I am correcting or redirecting someone <laughs> in, in a rather loud manner mm-hmm. um, that they can't deny that it's good and it's helpful information. Um, I, I do think I'm strict. I do think I'm tough. I don't think I'm inappropriate. I don't think I'm de- demeaning in any way. I don't think I'm humiliating in any way. Mm-hmm. I am sensitive to those things. I, I don't enjoy seeing anyone do that to a human being in any realm. Um, and I think that... You know, I, I think my office is a great place where I, I use my time to really maybe get into the nitty-gritty with someone. I don't do it during team practice. Um, you know, and I've played around. We do, we, we still do a fair amount of consequences at practice, but they're always for an effort-based issue. It's never a performance-based issue. Mm. Um you know, like body language. If I'm not happy with your body language, maybe you'll do a minute on the Versa Climber. But mm-hmm. I won't do a, a minute on the Versa Climber because you missed a forehand wide. Mm. Um, I might, we, we certainly will have some performance reminders and some performance goals that we're trying to achieve. But I'm really conscious of the, of the reminders or consequences, however you want to put them. Um, being effort-based, so they're totally within a player's control, and they're very individualized for each player. And I think that allows them to realize that I'm deeply caring about them and that this isn't just a generic cookie-cutter approach to tennis as a whole or to development of a tennis player, that I'm really helping them develop a, a particular aspect of their game. And I think that allows them to feel cared about and supported and that allows me maybe to be the sort of tough love coach that I yeah. am and, and, and like to coach by that because, you know, it, 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 it's tough out there. There are so many good programs. There are so many good coaches. I'm just so impressed with the level of college tennis and how deep it is now mm-hmm. that, I mean, we we got to develop our success. we got to get better. And I don't know that you can get to be the best you can always in a comfortable, 
with your feet up, sipping a Coke and, mm-hmm. you know, relaxing. I think you've got to do it with some hard work. And I think, but I, I think the key is the individuality of it. So, for example, at a practice, all eight people would be on the Versa Climber for something very different. Mm. And therefore, I think that what allows me for them to really feel like it's not this just blanket, you know, Claire's just on a tear, Claire's just <laughs> going a little <laughs> bit crazy here. Mm-hmm. She's really helping me with one aspect that I... And, and I do a good job of meeting with the girls on a regular basis and doing our individuals which we do a lot of in our program, I feel it develops the rapport and connection with each player to where they really get where I'm coming from. Mm. Okay. Brilliant. And and so, yeah, it's obvious you've remained committed to learning throughout your life and, you know, you, you read a ton like we alluded to earlier, but how how else have you developed yourself uh, other than, than reading books? How, how do you believe you've made yourself a better coach uh, throughout your career and and you know what are the th- maybe some of the things coming up that you believe will help you be a better coach as you move forward and and again um encouraging young coaches to to do the same and commit to to uh lifelong learning because you you've had so much success but you're always trying to be better and that's um that's something yeah that that really shines to out to anybody who knows you well um well, you know, reading is my first and foremost. Um, by far, it's the vehicle that I use the most. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated how the internet or the marketing strategies of something, like I might go on and read an article and the next thing you know, I'm get, they know I've read it, so I'm getting bombarded. <laughs> with you know i didn't sign up for anything but before you know it i'm i'm getting an email about something related to tennis almost all the time Mm -hmm. and i take advantage of that a lot Mm um i'm 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 much cleverer about what i give my girls now because at one point i was like daily oh read this and read this (laughs) and then when I was photocopying endlessly and seeing them all just sitting in the locker room. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I got the hint and uh, have become a little bit smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in my earlier days when I was single and, and didn't have kids, I, I did go and watch other, other programs' practices. Mm-hmm. I did go and see how other coaches operated, not just in tennis, in other sports. Um, you know, to me, coaching is coaching. Um, you can learn from a lot of different people. So I did go and watch other coaches' practices and try to get a feel for, you know, how, how they went about going about, you know. I mean, I and I've read a ton of books, not just in tennis, but in coaching in general. Mm. The NFL has a ton of good reading material that you can get hold of. Um, I've read a lot of psychology books. Um you know, and I also just, you know, I, I've used recruiting over the years to sort of try and pick someone's brain. I've mm-hmm. tried to sort of talk to a coach, not just someone who's, you know, got a top 10 team, but, you know, sometimes some of the greatest coaches out there are running very small programs. Sure. And just for many different reasons, they've stayed there maybe for a family reason, maybe it's just, you know, that their home roots, mm-hmm. whatever the reason would be. 
But I, I can learn from absolutely everyone and anyone. And, and some of the programs and coaches I respect the most come from very mm-hmm. limited means. Yeah. And, you know, they, they get a lot out of what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I definitely uh, try to pick someone's brain. And, and I don't think I have an original idea in my program. <laughs> so uh, probably could get accused a lot of plagiarism. Um <laughs> But I'm okay with that. Yeah, for sure. So is there any one book that you keep coming back to? Is there there anything that's really deeply influenced you? Yes, by far. Tell me. It's called The Non-Dominant Hand. Okay. It it has not been written yet. Okay. It's my book that I'm going to write one day. Okay. It, I, I go back to it every single day in my coaching life and ask myself, would I want this in this book? How huh. would this present itself in a book? How would this be helpful to someone? How would they understand what we do here, our program, how we help people become better tennis players, better people? And I would say that book influences me every minute. Hmm all the time as I'm a coach. And, and what's the reference to the to the title? Um, I always find myself feeling like the non-dominant hand is not utilized enough in the sport. Okay. okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, I look forward to reading it. And hopefully yeah. it uh, influences me as much as it's influencing you. So, um, okay, well, let's move on to your, your failures a little bit. I actually just wrote an article a couple of weeks ago that we sent out to coaches uh, about my failures as a college coach. But is there one failure you could maybe share with us that you learned a significant lesson from? Well, David, I really dislike the word failure. Okay, tell me why. Um, um, I it's don't it's in the I same failed. same bucket as loser. I just haven't failed. I've I've not succeeded a ton in my life. So why do why does it have to be a bad word? Why why do we have to have this feeling that failure is such a bad word? Why can't it be a, a word we celebrate? You could okay you could take that outlook, and I'm I'm happy for you to take that outlook. I just prefer. <laughs> strong negative word for me uh-huh. and I just think young people are really from a very early age kind of putting categories with those words mm-hmm. and I think it, it can really hurt a young young person in their pursuit and development because you know I mean I think you and I might disagree which is really fun for us to disagree because we don't disagree very much <laughs> but you know there, there, there is a there is some merit to everyone getting a trophy when you're very young mm-hmm. there is some merit to instill instilling a love for the game now I wouldn't necessarily choose a trophy to, to get my point across mm-hmm. but I would love to see us encourage more people to stay in something longer earlier without putting this the angst of a score an angst of a scholarship the angst of oh my gosh i'm not good at this and Mm -hmm. just let them actually enjoy being a young person for as long as possible Mm -hmm. so kind of getting a little bit on my high horse there so i apologize no i i I agree with you there i agree with you there but uh okay well tell us about a mistake you once made as a as a college coach (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if a mistake is, is a word I like 
outside of the <laughs> and, and I, I did go to a very interesting talk held by Jeff Moore and Paul Wardlow uh-huh. maybe four years ago where they talked about the importance of your choice of words. Mm-hmm. So I, I think maybe that's where that sensitivity comes from. Um, I have so many that we could you could have just done the whole talk on this. Okay. Um, and I, I could have helped everyone a lot. But I think my biggest my biggest sort of letdown is my inability to out-recruit Stanford mm. and my lack of um, understanding that I probably should get out of that predicament much earlier than I ever have <laughs> uh, because I keep hitting my head against the wall and, um, you know, I get it. I get why you would choose Stanford. I totally get it. And mm-hmm. I have nothing but the utmost respect for their program, their school, everything about their university. Um, but I think I did a poor job maybe eight, nine years ago recognizing that I still thought I could out-recruit them. And I tried and I tried and I tried. Mm-hmm. And I came, I've come second a lot. When I, when I watched their national championship team this year, I'm, you know, I got that runner-up position. Well done. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think I, 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 I've recognized that now, and I'm, I'm kind of moving in a different direction. Okay. Okay, interesting. Okay, well, then along the same vein there, if you were to go back to your very first year uh, as a coach, I mean, you coached at Mississippi State, right, for a year before you went to for Lamar? Yeah. Okay. So if we went back to a young coach, Claire Pollard at Mississippi State as a coach, what would you tell that young lady today? I tell her that you are the luckiest person to be getting to do this job that, you know, you've sort of pursued and think is, is going to be your career. I mean, I would tell her to enjoy every moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think particularly back to the Two, two of our three years that we were together, Dave, and we were particularly good those years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I enjoyed them. I think I did. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, uh, um, I do have a lot of fun memories, obviously, those girls, you know. Yeah. Um, I still We still keep in touch with a lot of them. And, you know, we've been to some weddings um, with those, those young players. But I'd like to hope that maybe I would have told told her that it's going to go incredibly quickly. Mm. You're going to be really entrusted with a lot of responsibility. So take it seriously. Um, Be careful when you're treading with a young person's feelings. um, And just really, really take a moment to enjoy every minute of it especially the years you're really doing well because <laughs> they're really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're really hard. And I think maybe at one point I always thought we were going to be top five in the country. And, uh, mm. you know, we're we're pretty human at the moment and we're, we're aspiring to get back up there. And um, hopefully we will. And But if we don't, it'll be okay too. Um, right. But I think I would tell her to just enjoy every minute because it's going to go way too quickly and... Uh, mm going to find yourself you know um having to do it very differently as you evolve and and as as time changes okay great advice and then just last question claire 
one of the things I noticed when I came to work for you is just how much of your spare time you're willing to give to the Big Ten Conference, to your athletic department, to the NCA, to the ITA. Why, you know, where does that come from and, and why do you believe it's important for coaches to get involved in the bigger picture of college tennis and college athletics in general? Again, I, I go back to my experience as a player. Um, something that I holds holds true to to myself dearly is, I mean, Andy Jackson would go above and beyond. I mean, rules were very different back when we played, um, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of things that he was willing to do for us that went above and beyond. I thought, you know, a coach could. As I, I didn't really realize always at the time. Um, but I realized very quickly when I got into it how, how much he was willing to give to us. And if you think coaching career goes quickly, those four years those young people are in college <laughs> athletics go so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I just think we have an obligation as, a, as, a, as the coaches to understand that these girls or boys get this opportunity once in a lifetime. They, most of them will not stay in college athletics. And we owe it to them to give them the best experience possible. We owe it them to keep make sure college tennis is alive and healthy and thriving so that hopefully, you know, my kids have a chance to play and then their kids have a chance to play because we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all probably <coughs> stop and hold our breath sometimes. Um, but I think if we don't do those things and we don't serve on those committees, we don't really stop and ask ourselves, what's best for college tennis? Not what's best for Northwestern, not what's best for Claire Pollard, mm-hmm. but what's best for college tennis, because it's all bigger than we are. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be here long after we've gone. But there will be people who will, will still be here, and I'd like to think that we're going to always leave it in a better place than we had it. And mm-hmm. I think when I think about what we're able to give our young student-athletes now versus what we were given, I mean, it's, it's amazing what we're able to give them. Um, got to make sure they stay humble and, and keep their gratitude up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's important that we remember that we're very lucky to be here. Mm-hmm. At any moment, it could go away. But the healthier we keep it, the mm-hmm. better experience the players will have and the more likely we'll be able to sustain it. Okay. Well, that's brilliant, Coach Pollard. I knew it would be. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I think uh, you and I are a shining example that English and Irish people can work together towards a common goal. So I'm proud of us for that. But thank you. Keep up the great work. Good luck this season and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much for listening. The next podcast will be released on December 5th. This time I interview Chase Hodges, the record-setting head coach at Georgia Gwinnett.